What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today is Friday, so it is a Q&A, and I am pumped because Q&As are the best. Q&As are my favorite. Q&As are my favorite things to listen to when I listen to other people's podcasts. They're my favorite parts of workshops and seminars and things like that. But they're also my favorite podcast to do because, well, shit, I just get to answer questions. And it's such a good flow, and we get to just go on and on and on. So, um, guys, if you are not asking me questions and you are listening to this podcast on a regular basis, you are doing yourself a disservice because I am more than happy to help you specifically. In fact, I love helping you specifically. The more specific the questions are, the more in-depth I can go, the better I can get into these, and, and the more value I can provide because when you specifically need individualized help and guidance, I'm at your service, and that's how I can dig into things even more, again, specific and individualized and, and really help you take things to the next level. So with that being said, I want to make a couple quick suggestions. Number one, go follow your boy for a couple reasons. Number one, I am, uh, I'm really putting a lot of effort into my Instagram right now to deliver more content based on value. Like I really, really want to educate. So I'm putting more science-based information out there and I'm putting more experience-based information out there and I'm putting more information based on what my clients are doing. So I'm really, really trying to push the free content side of things and I'm putting a lot of effort, guys. Like I spend time on these posts to make sure that you are getting a lot out of it. So go follow me on Instagram. Do me a favor. Go follow me. Go check out the Instagram and let me know if I'm doing enough if I'm doing it right, if I'm helping you in any way. Like I want you guys to actually look at my recent posts and see how I'm doing it and let me know. Give me feedback because that's how I develop my content. I base my content off of what you guys want. So if you're a fan of this show and you're not following me on Instagram, go follow me at Cody.BoomBoom. If this is your first time listening to the show, go follow me. Check out my Instagram. There's a lot more value there as well. Um, And guys, shoot me a DM. Let me know what I am doing right and what I'm doing wrong, what you want to see more of. I love feedback. I love helping you guys out more. The second thing I will suggest is, guys, if you want to be a part of the Boom Boom Performance Forum on Facebook, if you're not in there already, go get the Nutrition Hierarchy, go get Density, go get Functional Muscle, go get one of the eBooks and add yourself in. That's your buy-in to the group. You can ask me anything in there. Not only do they get first access to the questions I can answer on the show, but they get direct access to me for me to help them. So I highly suggest you guys run over there. Um, Last but not least, guys, I just wrote a really, really powerful blog, something I've been working on, a concept I've been writing, wanting to write about for a long time, um, and I don't get as much time lately to write. And to be honest, this all started from blogging. I started as a blogger first and foremost. I was a trainer and a blogger, and that's how this whole content thing really developed. So I would love it if you guys went and go uh, check that out. Uh, It's called Individualizing Your Nutrition, Eight Keys to Tailoring Your Diet to You, or something like that. I messed up the title, even though I created it. But I'm going to put a link in the description for that, guys. I give eight strategies on how to implement these specific individualized strategies to um, implement into your nutrition so you can develop a better approach, get better results, and obviously just have everything more optimal for you personally in nutrition because the key to success with nutrition, um, nine times out of ten, guys, it's always going to be individualization. So um, last thing to say is, uh, guys, if you like this show, If you want to support this show, there's two things you can do for me to help me grow the show and deliver more free content. The first thing is share it with a friend. Take a screenshot of what you're listening right now. Put it on your story on Instagram. Put it on your Facebook and tag me. Please tag me. I want to follow you. I want to see what you're doing. I want to see how this podcast is helping you. And I want you to share it with your followers so they can too get help from the show. So if you guys can do me one huge favor, it's it's to – Go share this on your social media, guys. That is one of the most powerful ways for this to grow. The other way that you can help me grow this thing is to leave a five-star rating and review. That really does help us grow in the rankings. And last but not least, you can donate to the cause and help us support and grow this movement by donating to our Patreon, which there is a link to in the show notes. So without any further ado, any more ranting, any more rambling, any more of all this shit that I'm going on about, let's get on to the Q&A. All right. First question. Um, We're going to get deep on this one. So the first question is from Rhiannon Healy. I always wonder, do I say your name right? Rihanna, Rhiannon, DM me, let me know. Self-growth for accepting what is, whether it be relationships, body composition, self-image, etc., and how to wire your brain to experience more appreciation and gratitude. I know you've mentioned journaling. This is a really good question because I don't think enough people really – 
focus on accepting what is. Like accepting what is is literally looking at your life, looking at your day-to-day situations, looking at the things that uh, that just happen to you in life and just accepting them. Because guess what? They're not going to change. And that's the most brutally honest thing I can say. It's, it's the hardest thing to come to terms with for a lot of us because shit doesn't just always go our way. That's not reality. But what we need to start to understand is I guess like everything happens for a reason is what I'm trying to say. And, and if you can just learn to accept that and to just realize that everything happens for a reason and there's always a lesson inside of everything we do, I think then you can actually start to grow a lot more. So one thing I do to really focus on accepting what is um, is I do positive focus. So I sit down and I write that thing, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it makes me happy, whether it makes me sad. I look at that specific situation that happened. I write it out. I find one positive in it. No matter how shitty the situation is, there's always a positive. And if you can learn to find the positive in every single situation, just that alone, write down the positive. If you can learn to do that, then I can guarantee you, you will start to accept what is. You will move further in your life. You will grow more and you will just be better off, period. Like there's, there's, it's such a powerful thing. But after that, I read out the lesson learned. So what did I learn in finding that positive? What did I learn by experiencing that thing? What did that ha- cause me to do? Um, once I find the lesson, I look at applying that lesson. I go deep and I apply it to my body physically, my mindset, my relationships, and my business. But what you can do is simply find a positive. Once you make that a habit, then you can start to associate a lesson from that. And then what you can do is take that lesson and figure out where you're going to apply it in your life. Like literally like when am I going to apply this? How am I going to apply this? How is it going to benefit me? Apply that lesson. Write it out. That'll hold you more accountable to do it. But what you'll start to notice is that you're literally rewiring your brain. Like I remember going through this process every single day for year plus. And I got in an accident. I got in a car accident on my way to the airport to go celebrate three months of success. Like I, I set some big goals in my business, my body, my mindset, all these things, just like I always do. And I crushed all those goals. The reward was going to Santa Monica with my boy Theo. And I'm almost positive it was either the day before or the more, it was the night before I was on my way home to go pack because we were leaving at like butt fuck early in the morning. That's a horrible way to describe early in the morning, <laughs> but that's what came out. Um, so we were leaving early in the morning, and I got in a car accident, and I was so pissed because I was in a hurry. I haven't packed yet. We, I had to wake up at 5 a.m., and my mind literally stopped, breathed, and it was a bad accident. Like totaled my car, my Infinity. I was pissed, but my mind immediately went into positive focus. I closed my eyes. I took a deep breath, and I literally thought, what just happened? I got in a car accident. What's the positive? I'm safe. Nobody's hurt. Everything's going to be okay. I got all night. What's the lesson learned? And then I started digging in lessons. And usually I would throw out a, a bunch of different lessons. But basically, I literally, my brain was rewired to do positive focus. Then I stepped out of the car and I wasn't going to like tear this dude's face off because he ran a red light and I T-boned the back of his car because of it. Like he ran a really bad red light and he was going like 80 on a 40. It was crazy. But I got out of the car calm, collective, and in control because I didn't let that overpower me because my brain was rewired to think of the positive. So that's one really, really insightful way that you can start to, to be able to accept what is. But I, I truly believe, and the way you worded this question is perfect. Um, you know, you said self-growth, accepting what is. I think self-growth, I think growing yourself, period, across the board, every aspect of your life, actually is accepting what is. Right, Because dwelling on the negative things that happen, dwelling on the past, dwelling on what you don't have, dwelling on what you can't get, those things will never allow you to grow in your life no matter what area we're talking about. If we're talking about your body, thinking about the genetics you don't have will not get you better genetics. It will not create abs. Right, Your mindset. Dwelling on the fact that you constantly create doubt, scarcity, fear, judgment, all these different negative stories in your head will not get you a stronger mindset. Thinking about that will not work, right? Business. Thinking about how you didn't get things handed to you, how you have to work for yours, how you had to start from the bottom, how you had to build it up on your own, how long it's going to take. Thinking about that will not benefit you. Acting on it will. It's the same thing with your relationships. Thinking about how things have gone bad in the past, how you messed up, how you lied, how you got lied to, how you got cheated on, whatever it may be. Those things will not allow you to grow, not allow your relationship to flourish. The only thing we can do to grow ourselves is to shift our mind and start thinking about what we can do 
right now to get better. So, again, I love the way you worded this. I think it's so powerful. I think positive focus is the best thing. I mean, you know, I'm big on self-affirmation. Um, so my morning routine, meditation, self-affirmation, um, positive focus, all these things are, are in the mix because I do believe those help me create that feeling of just loving what is. Um, by the way, that's a powerful book. If you really want to dig into this stuff and you really have some issues in your life and you need to accept and move on, check out Loving What Is. It's very, very important um, to do so. It's a very, very powerful book. Um, but like the the biggest key here is like, yes – Reading, um, so reading books like Loving What Is, journaling, all these things, I think it's very powerful. I think the number one thing you can do, to be honest with you, is meditate, create space, because the more you can just be alone, be with yourself, be in your own head, and just be comfortable with that, it's going to help you a lot. Journal every day, write things you're grateful for, um, write what you appreciate about yourself, write a self-affirmation, things like I will, blank, I am, blank, things like that are very powerful to build your confidence, build your certainty in yourself, Um, and when you build your confidence, it's easier to accept what is. Um, again, positive focus every day, meditation, self-affirmation. Those are the biggest things to be honest with you. And I, I don't think there's tricks and tactics to this. Like there's no hack to growing, to self-growth, to self-worth, to appreciating or loving what is, to accepting what is. It really comes down to everything I've been talking about. And it, it comes down to ignoring what you can't do, what you won't have, what you don't get, the benefits you don't have, the easy ways, all these things that you didn't get blessed with, like start focusing on what you can do, right? The more we look at how poor our genetics are, the further away from abs we are going to be, right? Like if you constantly dwell on the negative situations in your life, you're going to be consumed by negative situations and you're never going to move forward or take action on the positive situations that you could create. Because that's the big key here. You have to create positive situations. They don't usually get handed to you. And if you focus and compare to people who do get these things handed to you, you're not going to be successful. You're not going to see results, period. So the key is to look at every single situation, find a positive in it, find a lesson and apply that lesson as fast as you can. When you do that and when you begin to do those things consistently, and that's the big one here, right? Like consistently doing those things, that's where you win. Because there's no, there's no hack. There's no trick. Like you have to do these things day in and day out and then they grow. All right. Digging the Woodlands from Instagram said, I wonder if she lives in the woods. Digging the, <laughs> digging the Woodlands. I love Instagram usernames, especially when you don't really get it and you don't know what they're about. And then when you ask, there's like this crazy cool story behind it. Um, she asked, what is your most important advice for becoming leaner after age 45? Um, so for me – My best advice on this one um, is probably going to be like – it's tough to say to be honest with you. I I would probably suggest strength training for sure. I think people need to focus more on like movement quality, good – like joint health is going to be huge. And I say that because like I think strength training is very, very important um, for fat loss and I think people just immediately think to diet and – Cardio and, and trust me, diet is super important. It's the biggest mover in fat loss and in staying lean. But um, I think a consistent strength training program that is well balanced throughout your week, that is helping your joints get better, not breaking them down and making your movement poor um, or have aches and pains. I think that's key because longevity in the gym is going to be key. I think that like the big thing is going to be lifestyle, right? Like there's a lot of people after age 45, we have jobs, we have stress, we have family, we have all these things. You have to create a lifestyle out of it, right? So I know there's a lot of people, like I remember when I was in college, all I did was go to school. I, I had a job, but it was like, I didn't give a shit about my job because it was, I was a grocery clerk. All I was just doing it just to make some money so I can afford gas to get to school and stuff, right? So, and uh, it, it, back then, and the reason I say this is because back then I lived in the gym and it was fine with me. I didn't need to make crazy lifestyle changes because I didn't have as many responsibilities. So as you get older, it's, it, it's crucial to create more lifestyle changes, lifestyle habits, time blocks, routines, things like that that make your lifestyle easier. So the reason I say this is because becoming leaner and staying lean because the other part of her question was how do you stay lean for life? Like staying lean for life, you have to create a lifestyle around this. You have to make sure that you are doing everything possible to make this easy on yourself. So like staying lean for the rest of your life is a pretty 
staying lean for the rest of your life is an impactful thing. It's a big change. It's a hard thing, right? We do diets. We do 12-week transformations. We do photo shoots. We do all these things, and I'm in the midst of one right now. But if we don't create lifestyle changes that support health, movement, nutrition, all these things that are going to create a healthier body for a long period of time, then we're screwed. So it comes down to eliminating stress, getting more sleep, stocking your pantry and fridge with healthy food that make you feel good, learning how to dial in your nutrition so that you're eating the right quantities without maybe tracking macros for the rest of your life, right? Learn and educate yourself on how to do this stuff properly and then adjust your lifestyle so it becomes second nature. You can't be chasing the photo shoot forever. You can't be chasing the stage forever. You can't be chasing CrossFit competitions forever. If you want to be lean for life, you have to change your lifestyle. You have to create a lifestyle out of this. And maybe that means not going to the extreme all the time. And that's part of this whole thing of staying lean after 45 as well, the first part of the question. It comes down to creating the lifestyle habits, creating the stress management, creating the practices in your day-to-day life, your week-to-week life, your month-to-month life to where you know this is an ongoing thing. This isn't a 12-week prep. This is a 10-year plan. This is something that I'm going to do day in and day out, week after week, month after month, year after year because it's a lifestyle. I don't hate it. I have fun with it. I'm not in a crazy deficit. That's how you stay lean for life. Learn to love the process. And it can be hard to do. But again, that's the most important thing. Um, And and as far as like tactics to staying lean um, after age 45, like I said, joint-friendly training. And I'm going to answer another question in this um, specifically about training after age 40. Um, Oh, wait. No, that one's not on here. My bad. Um, That was a question for the mentor group. So – But what I talked about in that one was basically – or how I would answer that one is basically like joint-friendly movement, right? You can still do compound lifts, but you're going to be predominantly using kettlebells, bands, dumbbells, maybe some cables. Um, Not a ton of barbell work because unless you're competing, there's no – you don't need it constantly, right? So I think as you age, I think you can probably do a little bit less um, joint-intensive training. Um, I also think that uh, stress management from a nervous system standpoint becomes very important. So balancing – and this goes for everybody, but especially as you get older because it's harder on your body and you have more stress and responsibilities in your life. So you have to look at balancing the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems up pretty evenly, which basically means if you train super hard, make sure you match that with a low-intensity cardio session, a float tank, a meditative t- tank. Make sure you're sleeping seven hours a night, things like that um, because otherwise the tactics don't really change to be honest with you. Track your macros, get your right nutrients, drink enough water, sleep, train. It doesn't matter. It just becomes – it goes back to that lifestyle-changing thing. K, K Kangaroo J. Damn. Do you have to count macros in order to change your body comp? Can you follow a style of meal plan or diet and skip the calculator in food scale? Yeah, you can. Um, I just think it's more difficult. It's less accurate, right? Like if, if you look at everything, everything's kind of a guess, right? Like even macros. Um, you can't tell me that this is exactly 26 grams of protein or exactly 42 grams of carbs. There's just no way. So everything's a guess. But tracking macros and dialing in macros is going to be the closest possible educated guess that we can get. So it becomes really hard to see serious changes in our body um, without tracking macros. Now, if you are somebody who – I guess it depends on where your starting point is as well. If your starting point is – Ground zero, meaning you eat fast food on a regular basis, stuff like that. And, and, I, and I work with lifestyle clients, so I, not all my clients track macros. Not all my clients are getting ready to get ripped or doing photo shoots. Some of them are, but a lot of them too are just lifestyle earning clients that need to build habits. So a lot of these people, we start by implementing more protein, implementing more whole foods. Let's, let's talk about meal prepping. Let's set up a meal plan for your week, and we change it every week. So – those people aren't tracking macros because they're not ready for it. Um, if you are at that point where you've done the habits, you're training consistently, your nutrition is really clean and good, uh, but you're stuck at a plateau, at that point you really – I don't want to say you really need macros, but to an extent you kind of do because that's how we get more accurate. That's how we make it more individualized, and that's how we make sure that we can actually have the metrics associated with how we can adjust to change your body composition. Like, like Macros are tools, right? I think – How do I word this? I think it's funny that – it's funny that a lot of people say like, are you a macro coach or do you do a macro diet? Because a macro isn't a diet. A macro is a metric. 
See, a metric is a tool that we use to adjust along the way. It's a, it's a system. It's a structure. It's something that we can track that tells us, are we moving forward? Are we standing still? Are we, are we declining? Are we making negative prog- progress? Are we regressing? So a, a macro is just a way of measuring things to adjust, to tweak, and to implement so we can individualize the process and actually get you to the end result. Because along the way, there's going to be hiccups, speed bumps, and plateaus. And when we get to those, we can tweak things through your macros to make sure that you are enhancing every possible thing in your training, your recovery, your lifestyle, your adherence, your energy, all that, your hormones, and that's what leads to results. So macros aren't a diet. Macro is a tool. It's a metric. And I think if you can look at it from that standpoint, I think it becomes a little bit easier. Now, what I do, I don't track macros every day. I create a new meal plan on Sundays. I track my macros one day. I create the meal plan. I eat the same fucking thing Monday through Friday. I do this when I am on a very strict diet. Right now I'm on a very strict diet because I'm getting ready for a photo shoot. So normally I'm much more flexible and I don't do that. Normally I will track my macros daily. I change what I eat daily. I kind of eat on the fly if I want to and I don't tr- – I track more loosely, right? So um, I don't think it's always a time for that. But that's something you can do. You can go, I like to follow a meal plan. I don't really change what I eat all all week. So what you can do is track your macros on Sunday, one day of the week, um, set up your meal plan. Monday through Friday, you eat the same thing. And maybe your dinner changes because you change the meats you eat, you change the greens you eat, you change from sweet potato to rice or whatever. But in general, you don't really have to measure those things if you know how much of that sweet potato versus how much rice you're having, how much of that fish versus how much steak you're having, right? You know the amounts of protein, you know the amounts of carbs, and you just adjust those things without tracking them. So that's an easy way to follow your own meal plan throughout the week without tracking every single detail on a, on a food scale or in the app every single day. Um, now, if you follow a meal plan, usually you have to have a food scale because you got to know you're eating the right amount of protein, fats, and carbs during your meals. Um, but again, you can eyeball things, right? So um, I, think it's, I think it really, really depends where you're at. If you've been doing this for a while and you're at a plateau, I think it's pretty crucial to track macros. If you've never done any of this before at all, I think it's just simply making new habits to progress forward and you will see progress, especially if you have 50 plus pounds to lose. Um, and, if, and if you're somewhere in the middle, um, try intuitive eating. Try doing it on your own. Try setting up a meal plan. And if things do not budge, that's when you have to pull out macros because, again, macros are a metric that can get things very specific so you can actually move forward. And I think I have another question on this that we'll, we'll probably dig a little bit deeper into as far as intuitive eating. Um, Jen Johns, Johnston, I have a lot of clients and friends with trouble staying – okay, she, she worded this wrong. It's not me, guys. Hold on. I have, a, I have a lot of clients and friends with trouble staying asleep or sleeping more than four hours a night. What are your go-tos when you run into this with clients? So my first rule of thumb is if you're getting less than seven hours of sleep, we're dropping intensity. I actually just had this recently. Um, I have a – she's a mom. She's busy. You know, She only gets five hours of sleep, and she's doing functional muscle. Adding a hit finisher at the end of that and two CrossFit wad days. And the first thing I said is if you're only getting five hours of sleep a night, we got to take out the high-intensity cardio. Like you're going – this goes back to you have to match every sympathetic with a parasympathetic. I'm going to say that again. You have to match every sympathetic output with a parasympathetic input. And what that means is it's fight or flight versus rest and recover. Right, So if we're constantly hammering out these sympathetic outputs by training hard as hell, stressing at work, stressing with family, on the go, and then we're not matching that with a parasympathetic because we're getting less than seven hours of sleep, we're not eating enough calories and carbs, we're not recovering fully in between sessions, we don't have any low-intensity days of our training, it's all high-intensity, then we're staying on that sympathetic mode, and guess what that's going to do? It's going to crank cortisol through the roof, and we're going to keep cortisol up. And when cortisol is chronically elevated, we're not going to see progress because we're never going to recover. And if we can't recover, we're never going to adapt to an extent, right? So what we need to do in that scenario is we have to match every sympathetic output with a parasympathetic input. You train balls to the wall today. Cool. You're doing low-intensity bodybuilding or cardio tomorrow. Cool. You train this many days a week. Cool. You need seven hours of sleep a night. You need this much carbs. You need this much recovery. You need to implement these stress management things or you're just going to be at a plateau for the rest of your life. And, it's, and it sounds really blunt, but it's, it's just crazy to me that so many people go so hard and they don't do enough. Now, 
kind of ranting now, sorry, because you asked about sleep. So my, my first thing is the checklist, right? If you're not getting seven hours of sleep, we're going to lower intensity. That's number one. Um, because a lot of times, remember too, like sometimes people are in this constant cortisol elevated thing and that's why they can't sleep. They're restless at night. They don't get tired at the right time because their circadian rhythm is messed up because their cortisol rhythm is messed up. So it's important to lower intensity to hopefully lower that cortisol response. I usually like to bring carbs up, possibly carb time properly where maybe we keep carbs away from the morning and we're putting them more at night around their their workout. Um, Maybe they work out around three or four. You put carbs pre and post workout pretty heavily. That way the carbs kind of put them into this parasympathetic mode uh, without their choice, right? We shove carbs down. It's going to blunt the cortisol response. It's going to put them into parasympathetic, maybe get them doing some breathing drills. Um, That's going to wind them down. And then obviously there's like you can do nightly rituals, right? Like I used to do. Rishi T, you start shutting things off electronic-wise at a certain time. You, you know what I mean? You can do, again, breathing and meditation prior to bed. Um, little things like that help a lot. Um, stop eating a couple hours at least before bed so your body's not digesting food and liquids. Um, but the big thing to me, to be honest with you, is to manage the parasympathetic sympathetic. Get them recovering more. Get them eating more carbs. Get them not training balls to the wall all the time. Focus on a little bit more low intensity. And that could be bodybuilding style training. So you can still lift in a low intensity fashion, more pump work. Um, just got to calm down the parasympathetic or the sympathetic nervous system. Um, I think a lot of people are confused as to why they're not able to sleep. Like why is it that they're, they have trouble staying asleep? Why is it that they're wrestling? Why is it that they can't wind down? And it's because they're in this sympathetic mode all the time. Their cortisol is keeping them up. So the best thing to do, again, is to try to push that parasympathetic on them a little bit more. Um, and you gotta, you gotta kind of be brutal with it. Like there's some clients I'm just like, yo, you're just, you, we gotta calm down. You have no choice. I know you love the high intensity stuff, but it's just, it's, we gotta put a stop to it. Sarah Pringle, your general rule of thumb regarding training around sickness: cold, stomach bug. Allergy, sinus infection, etc. Advice of when to take off from training or just modify intensity and when to jump back in if you had to take days off. So anytime it's extreme, anytime you're, you're throwing up um, out of either end um, like and it's serious like that, just take it off. Like you're not going to lose gains over a week. So just, just chill. Just take the time off and just rest and recover. Um, the thing we got to remember is that training is something that – uh, impacts stress on all of our systems. And what I mean by that is if we look at our muscular system, if we look at our uh, nervous system, if we look at our immune system, which is the big point here, it damages and stresses all of those. And it's good because then we adapt and we recover, right? Um, that's the whole point of it. But so our immune system does actually get stronger from training. But if you're already immune system's already down, then don't push harder on it. Like you need to take the time off, get extra sleep, get extra water, get extra nutrients, take time off training. Um, if it's a cold, like I, what we usually like to say is if it's below the neck, take time off. So if you have a really bad chest cold, if you're hulking up loogies, if you, if it's like hard to breathe, you need to chill out. You need to take a rest. You need to not do anything. Um, if you're like one of those people who is just like addicted to the gym and it'll drive you crazy if you can't do anything, grab a band and do some band pull parts just to fire your muscles, calm yourself down. But you got to take a break from the gym. Um, if it's above the neck, meaning you're, you got like the sniffles or sneezing or like runny nose, that kind of stuff is generally usually okay. You might want to deload a little bit because, again, regardless, your immune system is, is, is being harmed or is fragile at that point. So you might want to take it easy, but you don't need to completely take it out of the gym. So that's kind of my recommendation there. Um, and if it's above the neck, I would still deload, right? Um, regardless, you're going to modify intensity like you suggested and lower it because you don't want to overstress your system no matter what. Like that's the big takeaway there. Ian Tuan, how to overcome slash deal with gym FOMO when intentionally trying to take rest days and not jack up your cortisol during a cut. So FOMO, if anybody doesn't know, fear of missing out. Um, I think the best thing to do here is, is like start creating active recovery days. And this is why I'm big on like low intensity cardio, because if you're somebody that is addicted to intensity and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to take one full rest day 
off and I'm just going to do six days going hard and then you get to that seventh day and you're just going crazy and you end up doing high intensity anyway, you kind of screwed yourself. At least do low intensity throughout the week so you're not screwing up your cortisol, right? Like we got to, again, this comes back to sympathetic versus parasympathetic. Balance them equally. I promise it's going to help your results. It's not going to be worse. Like high intensity cardio, yes, it has its benefits over low intensity, but in same with training, but low intensity has just as much merit because it helps you balance out the systems and that's what's going to lead to better adaptation. It's going to lead to better better recovery, better gains, better fat loss. Um, and on top of that, like you got to remember to your, your, your nervous system and your, uh, metabolic system, they do get used to these things. That's why people adapt to cardio. You can't do the same cardio over and over and over again, expect the, uh, the same good result to happen. Eventually your body adapts and you will stop responding from that. That's the job of the body adaption. So if you're doing the same intensity all the time, it's most likely that your body's going to adapt to it and you're not going to get the best results. So the smart thing to do would be to vary your intensities, right? Just like we vary rep, rep ranges, right? And we have studies to prove this. Some days low rep, some days high rep. That is the best to get stimulate gains because you're varying your intensities and loads. Why not do that with cardio? 50-50 blend, low intensity, high intensity. I do this with clients. It works way better. I know that my coach right now does this with me, and I didn't suggest it to him. And he's uh, IFBB pro bodybuilder. So he obviously gets great results himself and with a lot of his pro bodybuilder clients. Um, and I know a lot of great strength coaches. In fact, I have an episode coming up with Dr. Mike T. Nelson, who is a metabolism expert and conditioning expert. Like, dude is a genius. He, he suggested the exact same thing, which is really cool to hear. So I would, I would highly suggest doing that. And if you start doing that, you'll notice like you don't have to take a rest day off. If you're one of those people that don't like to take rest day off, so what? I don't. I like to be in the gym seven days a week. The difference is, is one day I do just low intensity cardio. One day I do a walk outside with the family, right? Like that's activity to me. So start setting up things like that or skateboard or go play basketball, do things like that. Um, I think that's going to be the best way. And if you can start to educate yourself more on the situation too, I think that would be powerful because um, education, like I'm stealing this from Jason Phillips and I and three, but um, education, what is it? How, How does he say it? education builds compliance or something like that. Basically, your client is going to adhere better if you teach them why they're doing things. And it's just like anything that we do in life, if somebody tells us to do something without an explanation, we're not likely to follow the system, right? So if you educate yourself better, you are more likely to stay away from going hard 24-7 because you start to understand that it's going to negatively impact you. Tony Pastor how to increase the mind-muscle connection. How to increase mind-muscle connectivity. I like this question a lot because I think it goes under undervalued, right? Like I think that like John Meadows is big on this. Ben Pakulski is big on this. Really, really popular bodybuilders that are really jacked and they get great results are really big on this. And I think intent is everything. Um, if you don't intentionally fire a muscle before doing a movement – why is that movement really happening? Is it happening because your joints are doing the work? Is it happening because your tendons are doing the work? Like what's causing you to do that movement? Um, and actually this is part of what what I call the functional muscle method. And this is kind of how I program, right? This is why I have a warm-up, then an activation phase, then a priming phase, then a strength phase, then a hypertrophy phase, and then a finisher. And the sequencing of this is important. And the reason being is because I want the the – intent, the tension, the work to be done in the muscle. I don't want your tendons, joints, ligaments, all these things to be beaten up while we're building muscle because that defeats the purpose. It's going to take us out of the gym. We're not going to be able to continue. So the most important thing you can do is to sequence your workout. You're going to start with a warm-up to get loose, get your joints ready. You're going to activate the muscles you are targeting for that day so they have tension, they have blood, oxygen, hydration, all these things that are creating a pump essentially so you feel the right muscle work. Then you're going to go into a priming phase so you be explosive and strong. That's going to fire your nervous system so you can move more weights with those muscles you just fired. Then you build strength. Then you build volume with hypertrophy. And then you finish with some kind of metabolite, whether that's a high-intensity cardio because your fat loss goal or it's a metabolite session as far as pump work, high, high rep work for isolations to burn out the muscle at the end. This method creates more mind-muscle connection, creates more muscle mass, creates less injuries in the gym, and creates better results. Period. And I stand by that. And in fact, I know a lot of very, very high-level strength coaches that actually use the same exact system, and I didn't even know it. And we all do it. And, and it's funny that people aren't gravitating towards this. Um, and again, it's why I call it the functional muscle method. It, it keeps your body functional like it's supposed to be. Um, 
So my first advice is that phase your workouts just like I do. If you, if you haven't got Functional Muscle yet, guys, I would highly suggest you do so. It's a great book to read, to learn why I do what I do, to understand these phases, and then obviously to set yourself up for training. Um, there's a link in the description. Uh, but the key with it is, is because you are going to go through this and you're going to get rid of pain. You're going to stay away from pain. You're going to build muscle and you're going to feel your muscles work if you do that singleton. That's the number one thing. Um, the, the other thing is like actually thinking about the muscle. So go into the gym. This is what I did uh, way back, and this is what I suggest people do. When I got into this, this is what helped me. I spent a full week not worrying about progressive overload whatsoever, meaning I, I didn't go into the gym and I didn't look at like, okay, how much can I lift today? Can I add five pounds? Can I add 10 pounds? I didn't do any of that. Instead, what I did is how hard can I get my muscle to fire? Right? Can I grab this light weight and can I create as much tension as possible to make that shit feel like it's going to explode? That's the best way to do it. So when you're doing a bicep curl, look at your bicep. When you're doing a squat, think about your quads. Even meditation helps at this, to be honest with you. Um, there's, some, there's some apps and stuff to help you with it. But if you can lay down and you can meditate and you can think about your big toe, then you think about your heel. And then you think about your calf and then your kneecap and then your quad and then your hamstrings. And you think about the different parts of your body. You will begin, begin to, to acknowledge and become more self-aware of your body. And I know it sounds really foo-foo and weird, but I, I do these practices. And it actually helps with meditation to, to stop thinking about – like if your mind goes a million different ways when you meditate, this is a great solution as well. But that will help you build that mind-muscle connection. Um, and then when you go work out, you apply that same strategy. Okay, I'm squatting right now and I want it to be quad dominant. I'm going to raise my heels. I'm going to slow way down on the negative and the concentric, and I'm going to think about my quads. And sometimes it helps to do a, a body weight warm-up set before you do stuff, right? Like load the bar with nothing. Take just a barbell on your back and do slow squats and think about your quads. And do as, enough reps to where you actually feel your quads working. If that takes you 25, it's body weight. Who cares? It's not going to burn you out. Do that before you train heavy because now you're going to feel your quads. Dr. John Rustin calls these ramp-up sets, and I think they're great. But you're starting to build that connectivity with your mind and your muscle, and then when you go into that weight, you're going to be able to lift a little bit heavier. You're going to be able to lift a little more efficiently, and you're going to actually target the muscle that you want to target. So that, that's my recommendations for that. I think it's huge. Um, I'm a big fan of that, and to be honest with you, it, it depends. I mean, go into – Christian Thibodeau talks a lot about this stuff, and I think it's huge, but it depends on your neurotype too. For me, I get much more satisfaction from a workout if I can feel my muscles working than if I lift heavy. I, I don't give a shit what I bench. I don't give a shit what I squat, nothing. But if I can feel my lats on fire, if I can feel my chest on fire, I feel like I accomplished something. So it depends on who, you're, who you are. And if you feel like that's something that you need to accomplish to feel satisfied, then I do highly suggest you take a week in the gym and just focus on tension. And then do that meditative stuff, phase your workouts. All right. Um, Lauren McKenzie, this one cracked me up. What it, and she's adamant. She commented on my last one too. I, I, guys, if you um, – actually, this is, this is good. I'm glad I thought about this. So I posted on Instagram. I got a new uh, – as you guys probably noticed today, if you haven't noticed already, I got a new cover art. Shout out to my guy Travis, my media guy. Super excited about it. Uh, we went back and forth like 30 times because I'm just so – I'm such a perfectionist when it comes to content, guys. It really means the world to me for everything to be perfect for you guys, and I put a lot of effort into that and my coaching. Like it's really, really important to me. Um, but I got a new cover art, and I posted a picture of it, and I said, tag who you want on the show. And, uh, and she tagged and said, me. <laughs> I want you to interview me. How do I get on the show? And I thought that was dope. And I've done that before on other people, so that was funny. Um, what I want you guys to do if you're listening to this right now, um, go to my Instagram, at Cody.BoomBoom. There's a link in the description. Go there. Like the photo and tag someone you want on the show because dead serious, my assistant is literally going through the comments and we're going to be reaching out to all these people. So whoever you really want on the show, I will reach out to them and try to get them on the show for you. So whether this is your first time listening to this or you are an avid listener of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, go to my Instagram, comment your favorite person that you want on this show, and I promise you we will reach out to them and try to get them on for you. Um, and I want, to, I want to grow this and I want to do that more. So um, appreciate you guys doing that as well. What it takes to be a nutrition coach under the Boom Boom Performance Movement. I will be honest, and she said on top of that, jobs for nutrition coaches aren't really posted on Indeed, laugh out loud. So how does a nutrition, go, a nutrition coach go about working under an existing business? Very broad, but how do you deal 
how you deal with people who are uneducated about nutrition and fitness but come across like they know everything. Okay, so that's a different question. Um, so I don't know if she was serious about the first one or not. I told her to DM me and I'll tell, talk to her about the process. Um, I don't know where she's at with her business or her coaching, so there's no telling. But to be honest with you, I'm very, very picky right now. Um, we have one coach, Courtney Sturgeon. She's crushing it. I'm really, really happy with the results her clients are getting and how well her coaching service is. Um, but I, I just – I'm a very, very picky because this is my baby. This is my everything. I, I never want to stop coaching. I never plan to stop coaching. And I'm never stopping education. To be honest with you, I'm actually enrolling. I, I want to say it starts in September. I'm going to be enrolled in a university-level nutrition program to become a, a, the next level certified nutritionist, right? Like I've, I've done countless nutrition certifications, um, and I've been nutrition coaching for years now. But I'm going to go the extra step. I'm going to get a different point of view. I'm going to get um, go through like lab setting stuff because I want to take things to the next level. And I think that's very, very important. So part of my business is, is displaying that. And I want other individuals with that. So first and foremost, it comes down to just getting to know the individual. Are they on that level? Are they that passionate that they never want to stop growing? They never want to stop learning? They never want to stop coaching? Because I'll tell you one thing. No matter how big my business gets, I will never stop coaching. Never. Even if I can't afford to uh, spend time coaching as many people as I can right now, even though I don't want to think about that because I love coaching so much, I will always coach because that's what I love to do more than anything. It means more to me than money, anything. I coach people. Um, but I want people that are like that. So first starts with that. The second part is a, is a almost like an internship, a 90-day mentorship. I want to take you through a mentorship. Um, I want to see, you have to actually invest in this too. It's, it's an investment on your part, time and money to get educated. I'm going to teach you everything I know about business, my systems, about lifestyle, about positive thinking, about self-appreciation, about entrepreneurship, about scheduling and and being more productive, um, about nutrition, about training. I want to teach you as much as possible so you can get as much as possible out of it. And after 90 days, we'll know if you're a good fit. We'll know if you want to go out on your own. We'll know if you want to be a part of the team and we'll know if you're ready to coach people. So that's really the process. So it's a very in-depth process, but that's why I I love that I have Courtney on the team because she's been coaching for a long time. Then she came in and she did longer than 90 days mentoring with me doing nutrition with me, taking on uh, beta clients. Like she went through the ringer to be where she's at today. And because of that, she has proved her own and she's ready to coach. So it takes a lot. Um, but like I said, like I'm, I'm, I'm open to talking to people about doing that in the future because the, the, the movement will grow. Um, and then the second question, very broad, but how do you deal with people who are uneducated about nutrition and fitness, but come across like they know everything I just don't – I don't do anything. I don't involve myself with them, right? I don't deal with them because I don't have to. I don't start conversations uh, with negativity. I don't respond to negative DMs, to negative comments. I don't involve myself in forums of people bashing each other or debating about shit that doesn't need to be debated. I stay away from that. I'm a very positive person, and I, and I, I, I I'm very proud of that, and I just – I stay in my lane. You know, I love coaching. I, lo- I believe that I'm intelligent with what I do. And I just coach, right? I stay in my lane. I post as much education and value and connection as possible so people can value from my work. Um, and it is what it is, right? Um, I had somebody comment on Dr. John Russin's blog recently saying uh, that I was wrong and that I need to st- cite my studies because I wrote a blog for him. And I just didn't even respond. I have four studies I could have sent to him, right? But it's just a debate that Nobody needs to get into. I don't have time to argue with people, and everybody's entitled to their opinion. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm big on just kind of staying in my lane and doing my thing um, and, and not really having to deal with anybody. I accept it. It is what it is, right? You do you. I'll do me. Um, there's no hard feelings. Um, Cody Bunch has a question. Best method to use with a client who is used to eating low carb and has trouble reaching the daily carb goal you gave them? Um, that really depends. I think that um, I see where they're missing carbs, and then you can slowly implement them from there, right? So you can go about it like meal by meal. Uh, maybe you do carb bunching where you go, hey, like I want you to eat like a 600-gram sweet potato. Because if you look at a 600-gram sweet potato, it's like 120 grams of carbs or something like that. Not that I ever measure anything or no macros, but <laughs> I know that like the back of my hand because I love sweet potatoes. And it's big, but I can easily eat 120 grams of carbs from a baked sweet potato with some grass-fed butter on it. It's like no problem. But 120 grams of carbs from rice, that's like two and a half cups of cooked rice. That's literally like a fucking salad bowl of rice. So I'm not going to suggest rice to them. So part of it is looking at the carb sources you're telling them to consume. Um, Another way to do it is 
intra-workout carbs or post-workout carbs. So I have some people that are in this exact situation, especially with reverse dieting, and they're just – they don't like to see that number go up. They don't like to eat too much. So with them, what I'll do is a cyclic dextrin shake during or post-workout depending on their training. Um, and then I tell them to delay their post-workout meal a couple hours. So maybe they work out at 3. Um, they get done at 4. They drink their carb plus protein shake. That gives them an extra 25 to 40 grams of carbs. I tell them to wait about one and a half, two more hours before dinner, which gives them enough time to – relax, go home, shower, cook, and then eat. Um, And then they have carbs in that meal too. So right there, if they did the sweet potato and that, that's already 150 grams of carbs. And then the rest of the day, if they're just eating veggies, maybe a serving of fruit, they're easily hitting 200 grams of carbs. So little strategies like that work really well. And then again, it always comes back to education, right? I love to educate my clients on why do I want them to eat more carbs? Why are carbs not a big deal? Why are they not the enemy? Um, I actually just posted on my story let me know if you guys like this. I've been posting like I'll read. I read PubMed, Journal of International uh, Sports Science Nutrition, study, research, reviews, things like that that are really nitty-gritty science. And, and I posted a screenshot, and the title of the study was High Carb, like Beats Low Carb for Dieting or something like that. Um, and these people lost more weight on a high-carb diet even in a short-term setting, even in a week-long study. They ate high carb in the caloric deficit still, obviously, but they ate high carb versus high fat. Um, the high carb outperformed the high fat every time for fat loss. So I will show them, hey, like this is a study I actually just read and basically what it's saying and I'll interpret it and tell them. Now they go, well, shit, if scientists are saying this, like maybe I am okay with this. Or I'll show them examples. Hey, look at this other client I have. Right? I had a person that was really worried because she was vegan and she thought that she couldn't build muscle. And I was like, hey, look at this other client I have. She's had a crazy transformation. She's 100% vegan. This is how we did it. And then it gives them that buy-in. It gives them that confidence. It gives them that certainty to be like, fuck, okay, I can do this. Um, So educate them. Uh, Cody Bunch has another question. Rate of lean muscle gain. So very, very slow. And I like this question because I don't think enough people realize it, right? Like if if I'm on a lean gain, like right, I'm on a gain muscle without really adding a ton of – adding a ton of body fat, like just really focusing on – strictly muscle mass, right? Like I am going to probably hope for a half a pound to a pound a month. <laughs> like not even that because remember I'm, I am, uh, I've, I've been training for a long time. So I think it depends on that too. For, for a newbie. So let's go like this newbie, intermediate and advanced for somebody who is brand new to training. I would say that you could probably, you could probably gain half a pound to a pound a week. So two to four pounds a month, um, and you wouldn't be putting on a ton of fat. Like that's that's without adding a ton of fat mass, obviously, because that's never the goal. Um, for somebody who uh, is an intermediate, you're probably going to cut that in half, right? So you're thinking like maybe one to three pounds a month. Um, and then for somebody who is advanced, like a quarter of a pound to – which sounds crazy – a quarter of a pound to maybe – Maybe one pound, one and a half pounds at most, and that's if like you're like really going in and you're natural. Obviously, um, it, it's very very slow, guys. Like you can't build muscle tissue that fast. And I think it's important for people to realize now. For people who have a lot of fat to lose, who are new to the game, they will build muscle, lose fat. So they might gain, you know, a pound a week, pound every couple weeks, and it's different. But the rate of lean muscle gain without fat is very very slow. So it's important to track progress from your weights. Commit to a long period of time um, and focus on like measurements, like measure your arms, legs, all those things. Because if the scale moves a pound in a month and you're like, what the hell? I'm gaining so slow. But you measure and you've gained a half an inch on your legs, arms, and chest, you're crushing it. That's a big difference. And you got to look at it. Like a pound of muscle is big. Like this might not be exact, but I, I, and I'm stealing this from Jason Ferrugia, but a long time ago he said something like, imagine putting a, a 16 ounce, because that's one pound, steak on your traps. That's fucking big, and that's one pound, right? Like so, so you gotta you gotta think about it like that, and just be patient with it, man. Like look for visual progress, look for progress in the gym, and just commit to a long, long term thing. Like for me right now, I'm doing this photo shoot, right? And the, and the end date is September 29th, so I will be cutting until then. By the time I get to there, it's gonna be fall. I'm gonna do a very slow lean bulk. Like I mean, to the point where I'm gonna probably take eight months to try to build muscle at a very slow rate, so I can stay lean, and then right before summer do a little mini cut because I won't have much fat to lose. Um, very, very slow. And, and I think that's the best way to approach it. All right, last question, Bailey Aragon. How do you feel about intuitive eating? Do you think it's possible to get to one goals with it? 
say they have been tracking off and on and feel overwhelmed by consistently tracking, is it a good time to shift to intuitive eating? I kind of already answered this um, with the one question about changing your body comp without needing to track macros and do all that stuff. Here's the deal, though. I think that is it possible? Yes. Do you need to track macros first? I think so. If you don't track macros first, I just don't think you're going to have enough awareness and enough knowledge about what you're consuming, right? Like how much protein do you need? Okay, maybe you need 25 grams per meal. Okay, how much is that? Is that four ounces of cooked, raw, what? Okay, cool, you know that. What does that actually look like? Have you ever weighed a chicken breast before? So I think it's important to, to, to do macros, to look at things first, and then build into an intuitive eating. The way I like it is it's kind of like one big wave, right? We start with basic habits. Eat real food, eat protein throughout the day, eat veggies, drink water, stuff like that. Then we incorporate calories. All right, I want you to stay within these calories, right? Like now we have some like numbers and some tracking system to follow. Then I want you to track protein and calories. Make sure you hit your calories and just always hit this protein. Stay within this range of calories and hit your protein every day. Split it up evenly, blah, blah, blah. Then we're going to track all macros, and that's like the pinnacle. That's where you get the most specific. It's probably where you're going to get the most optimal results. It's where the most detail goes into it, the easiest adjustments go into it. Boom, you're perfect. Then from there, we get to our result, and we want to wind things down and stop. Okay, now we're going to go from tracking macros completely to just tracking protein and calories again. And then eventually just calories, and then eventually nothing at all because we know how to do this system. Right, so it can be very easy. Um, I love intuitive eating. I think it's smart. I will be honest. I, I've tracked macros for the last five years pretty consistently. There was a three to four month period of time where I didn't track macros at all. Um, my issue with it is I naturally undereat because I get so busy. Right, when I have a set meal plan, when I have set macros, I remember to eat throughout the day, and I don't let my my work schedule, my busyness, distract me to the point where I forget to eat. Um, because I found myself under eating and I had bad energy. I wasn't progressing in the gym. So it's important for me to track because of that. But I can track loosely, right? So I can track my macros in the morning so I'm set. And then I can kind of eyeball things because I know how to do it. Um, and then when I get serious, like right now, I have a meal plan. I created a meal plan. Each Sunday, I create a new meal plan that fits my macros and I follow that all week. So I think there's different ways to go about it. And then you periodize it, right? Certain times you don't need to intuitive eat because you need to go the, the extra mile like you shouldn't intuitive eat i mean because you need to go the extra mile to get ready for the photo shoot to get ready for stage whatever your serious goal is wedding anything um and then other times you can back off because you don't have such a serious goal so i think it really depends i think it's smart but i do think it, it, there's there's a wave system to it you need to educate yourself build self-awareness over time and then you can kind of come back to intuitive eating so you can actually intuitively eat the right amount of food All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide to Mastering Your Diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be Functional Muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.